Hello, and welcome to the Humumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. The podcast where we watch 31 horror movies throughout the hallowed month of October. Ranging from the critically acclaimed to film school projects gone gruesomely awry. And we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Sully Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously while we take these movies seriously. We are reviewing The Orphanage today. And we have a ghost reviewer with us today for the first time this month. Uh, My cousin Amy has joined us. Hello. Welcome. (laughs) This is a movie about an orphanage, interestingly enough. However, it's not the usual orphanage story. It's a woman moving into, as a house, the orphanage she grew up in. So she's going to go live there like a normal person now. And she brings her son who has invisible friends, and her son, of course, as always happens, meets a new invisible friend at the perfectly safe house. Yes, which is very closely positioned to the perfectly safe beach with the perfectly safe (laughs) cave that is only accessible during low tide, which (laughs) obviously makes it very, very safe. (laughs) Yes. So there's definitely a mystery to this orphanage Mm -hmm. that is hinted at at the very, very beginning. There's a prologue where we see this woman as a young girl living there. And it's ominous and, you know, there's like weirdness to it, but you don't really know why it's weird. And then you don't actually find out about the mystery of the house until at least halfway through the movie, right? Like you're very focused on this woman as an adult and her relationship with her adopted child who has tested HIV positive. I don't know. It took me a long time to realize that the mom in the story was the same little girl from the start. They don't yeah. they don't make that obvious. They both had red hair. That's what happens in all the movies. <laughs> <laughs> like that's all when you see a child with red hair in a prologue like that, and then you see a woman with red hair later, you're like, oh, obviously this is the same person. Doesn't matter if they don't look anything alike. <laughs> Except for the red hair. Red hair and, like, green eyes seem to be two things where everyone likes to use them as indicators of somebody special in a story. Well, somebody was special in this movie. They didn't it didn't focus on this at all, but the blind orphan girl mm-hmm. actually didn't have eyes. She had two glass eyes and... That was a story in the behind the scenes was that the director was like, oh, your eyes are so pretty. And she's like, I picked them out myself. Huh. <laughs> a little that's disturbing. Awesome. <laughs> but you can see how shiny her eyes were in the movie. I was like, oh, that's her. Huh. Yeah. yeah. And they didn't, when I think about it, they didn't track together for sure. Hmm. Which then makes me make a connection to all the Columbo I've been watching. And <laughs> Peter Falk had a glass eye. And you, you know, sometimes it's not so obvious. And then other times I'm like a little distracted from the story by how much his eyes aren't tracking together. Yeah. <laughs> I, the the large floaty things in the opening scene were really oh, disturbing to that's me. That's right. And then like they showed him again later. And I was like, are those feathers? What's yeah, in the air? Right. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of leaf mold season. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Whew, that would have been some intense leaf mold. <laughs> yeah. I, that is a very good question. And they didn't look like feathers. For a second, I sort of thought maybe it was like soap. 
bubbles somehow. Like, like it seemed kind of white and fluffy to me. Yeah. yeah. But, like... Well, I was thinking, you know, like how if you have like you get like frothy soap, like dish oh, yeah. in the dish, and like bits of it go flying around, like huh. maybe that. But it didn't really seem like that either. No, I think it was just idyllic childhood memories floating around. Yes, that, no wonder childhood <laughs> is so traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think it was supposed to be representative rather than real, but it was also very real. <laughs> oh yeah, there was something there. <laughs> yes. I have a comment about the opening scene. One, two, three, knock on the wall. Yes. Everyone's favorite childhood game, right? (laughs) Maybe it's a Spanish thing. (laughs) Yeah, I think it might be. I mean, it seemed sort of like the closest thing I know like that is like... Red light, green light. Yes. Except it's like, I mean, I don't actually know how red light, green light works, but this game... There's no winning. There's nothing. You just no. you just do it until they catch you. See, in red light, green light, you're trying to stop them from getting to you. So you use the red light, you know, y- your whole goal is to stop them before they get there, right? And when they were starting to get close, she didn't seem to care. Like, yeah. she was just waiting for them to touch you. And then she seemed like she chased them. So is it like tag mixed with red light, green light? Maybe? I don't it's know. It's a really advanced game. Yeah, I did not understand the rules. Of uh, one, two, three, knock on the wall. Also, it didn't seem to rhyme the way I wanted it to in <laughs> in Spanish any more than it does in English. So that was upsetting to me. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> My big question about this movie that did not come until the very, very end, and I'm a little mad that I didn't pick up on it sooner, is, is this whole movie a retelling of Peter Pan with hmm. death being Neverland? I mean, there's definitely parallels. There's I could see that. references, uh, blatant ones. So, right. There I mean, were a couple of times where, like, Simon is reading Peter Pan and, like, talks to his mom. And, like, that was some pretty heavy foreshadowing where he's like, I'm never going to grow up. I, yeah. I'm going to, you know, stay young like my friends forever. And we've already established that at least one of his friends is probably definitely a dead person, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then at the end... Where she's, like, she is Wendy because she's gotten older and they all stayed young because they died when they were all six and seven and she lived another 30 years. That's another whole big question. Like, how did she not know that the five children she grew up with all died shortly after she left? Or how was that not part of the house's story? Right. That's kind of a big deal. You know, when they were like, oh, there were five children (laughs) that died here. Like, never came up in the entire thing. I mean, I wonder anybody else. I wonder if thirty years later, that like there's a statute for limitations as to when, (laughs) like, how long you have to disclose murder in a house, (laughs) right? I don't know. Well, I mean, not necessarily murder because nobody found those bodies, so they're like, oh, that's right. They were in that coal (laughs) chute. Still, like thirty. 30 years later, you'd think it would still be an issue that five kids suddenly disappeared. Five kids in that one instance, and then prior to that, another one. kid had disappeared, That's and right. they had found out that these five kids had accidentally, I'm using my air quotes, uh-huh. killed him in the very, very safe right, low-tide cave. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, there are a lot of questions around that. But, you know... That seems like a plot hole. What? 
the whole nobody knowing about these deaths thing. Yeah. I mean, it definitely seemed to be like a maybe a local secret. But you'd think that the police at least would have known, would have said something. Yeah. yeah. I'd be like, oh, disappearances happen here. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the end, or near the end, Laura did call out Pilar, the psychologist, and was like, how how often does this happen? Like, yeah. how often do kids go missing here? Because at this point, you know, she's talking about all these kids. And then there was the kid that they had killed earlier. And then her son is missing. Like, how often does this happen? In the support group, it seemed like there was quite a few missing also. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing they hit that old lady with a car. Problem <laughs> solved. Ooh, okay. We talk about bus busing a lot because it's one of my favorite slash least favorite things. It's one of the things I love to hate about horror movies. I did not see that bus coming. Right? (laughs) I don't think I even really understood that she was standing in the street until she was no longer standing in the street. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Well, and then Carlos, Laura's husband, does CPR on the old lady. And then we see the old lady's face. Right? Like CPR wasn't the problem. Yeah, yeah, it 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 wasn't just chest compression CPR. He did mouth to mouth. And even, like, even though she of. had no mouth <laughs> yeah. left. Right? Like, half her face is gone. I mean, he should yeah. have known that... I mean, he was basically doing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on the end of her trachea at that point. Oh. <laughs> That's... <laughs> I'm sorry. Warning, listeners. This is a horror podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had That's... to do it. <laughs> um... But even before that, like, I'm pretty sure he failed his uh, his CPR class because those were the worst <laughs> chest compressions I've ever seen. Also, he did it for what, like 10 seconds? <laughs> if that. Like, uh, it was like all, he was just kind of shrugging his shoulders up and down and that's it. <laughs> Which probably is because he was an actor trying to pretend to do chest compressions on an elderly woman. And he's like, I don't yeah. want to accidentally break her ribs. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that that whole scene that that was all quite And then they found the dramatic. the reels that she had recorded of poisoning the children. Yeah. Right? Cuz like, everybody documents that sort of thing. Oh yeah, if I were going to hide a secret for 30 <laughs> years, I would record it. <laughs> yep. Real to real film, yeah. you know, hide the bodies in a coal chute but leave the film sitting around the house. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. So Amy, you had asked for a movie that would scar us significantly, right? <laughs> What were you looking for? Um, And did this movie meet that request? I'm not exactly sure what I was looking for. Just something that would stick in my brain. And I I don't think this movie is going to do that because it was very cliche. And I like left last night and was like, okay, that happened. (laughs) Interesting. I mean, maybe that woman's face is kind of scarring. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. Huh. I found this movie to be very emotionally scarring. You're right, there were a lot of cliches. Like, it was a traditional horror movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. But the actual story of this kid being missing for nine, maybe ten months, and then finding out where he was and what happened to him, and, like, his mother being the one to look for him for ten months and then find out what happened to him, like, that, this story is going to stick in my my mind for a long time because of how just straight up traumatic the plot is just in that in in thinking about somebody actually going through that i have questions about that because there's parts where there's ghostly knocking sounds and stuff in the house and are we saying that she blocked off that door by accident and her son was knocking trying to get out 
while alive. Yes. That's pretty upsetting. And then like the big noise that she heard that she is, she is assuming is ghosts and, you know, Mm -hmm. his imaginary friends. And she's like, she's spending all of this time. I mean, initially she looks for him, obviously. She thinks she, he's maybe in the very, very safe low tide cave. But then she transitions to this idea that ghosts took him and won't give him back. Yeah. And so she hears that huge crash and that's him falling off of this, you know, through the railing of the stairs. And essentially she heard him die. Yeah. And then, continued to spend months looking for him and she's the one who blocked him in there and i noticed that in the beginning when she was first looking for him and she's i made a note i'm like oh she was in that under the stairs closet on the first day when she was looking for him right and, and she slammed the thing i like, was like oh that's thomas's little house <laughs> yeah like, right moving, then instantly moving things around yeah and i did not make that connection oh i knew the instant that she pushed <laughs> the things up there I knew that they were something and I'm like, are those clues in the sense like that the ghost I was I was with her on the whole like ghosts exist and and they they took her son thing. I was like, are those gonna be clues in terms of like where where she has to look next? Like I thought it was mm, gonna be yeah. a series of scavenger hunt kind of thing. And which it they was, did pull back in. Right. Which I liked, but be because they had that, they distracted me just enough there so that I wasn't like I don't think I realized there was a door there, first of all. Well, it was hidden. Sure. So I didn't realize that there was anything to be blocked in there. And I got distracted enough <laughs> that then when she finally figured it all out. I guess that's why it was less traumatic for me because I already knew he was trapped in there for like trapped the whole in where? movie. How did you know he was trapped where? He was he was trapped in Thomas's house. I was like the moment he was trying to show her where Thomas's house was and she refused, I'm like, that's where they're gonna find him. Yeah. So yeah. where did you think Thomas's house was? But then was? they like skipped six months and I was like, oh crap, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> But what did you think Thomas's house was? I figured that closet. I I don't know. Like there must have, I feel, like the moment it hit the wall or whatever, and she was like mm. up against the wall. I'm like there has to be something there. Okay. And I feel like maybe I even he took notes about yelling. that. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What were you saying? Oh, I was thinking maybe he should have tried yelling at some point. Right. <laughs> Use your human alive boy words, maybe. <laughs> I, right. Yeah. Don't just like bang on the wall. <laughs> Yeah, that's an upsetting way to die. I mean, yes, very upsetting way to die. And I am not a mother, but when I place myself in like a position where I think about like, she clearly loved her son. She loved kids. Like she wanted to be the, she was the kind of person who was like, these kids who other people don't have patience for, or don't want to take care of or are afraid of or whatever, bring them to me. I will take care of them. Although she clearly was not okay to be a mother to begin with because she slapped her son over, oh, like, right. knocking over a thing. And she's like, oh, I want to house, a, like, five or six special needs <laughs> yeah. kids. And I'm like, oh, no, yeah. you don't. You and your husband don't seem like you're ready to raise kids at all. (laughs) See, and that seemed out of place to me. Like when that happened, I was like, oh, that doesn't fit her character. Like the rest of her character didn't seem like that person. I don't know. The whole time I felt like she, you know, was the type of mother that was like, I like the idea of being a mother, but the reality of it isn't for me. Hmm, maybe. Interesting. Her husband, too, particularly with his (laughs) getting up in the middle of the night, oh, I'll get it, it's my turn, and then falling right back asleep. Yeah. It's classic. Do you think that was just like stereotypical gender nonsense? Like that's one of the things that we use to make fun of men, that they're not good dads because, you know, whatever, which I think is pretty cliche and <laughs> it's a harmful stereotype, right? It's also a little bit funny. I mean, it I is. It's funny. But also, uh, I don't know. Last night after we watched 
Amy, you said something that connected with one of the quotes that I wrote down. So at one point, Aurora, the medium who they have come in to, you know, speak to whoever it is that Laura thinks has taken Simone. The medium tells her, seeing is not believing, believe and you will see. And then after we were done, you had a, a takeaway. Oh yeah, don't don't believe. Don't ever <laughs> believe. In all of these movies, it's it's exactly that. You don't see it until you believe in it. Yes. And in fact, as she was trying to escape, like she's found her son, she has not yet Oh yeah. Her yeah. her brain has not yet processed what she's actually found. So we are seeing her son who is alive and glad that she came to save him and my mm-hmm. note was it's been 9 months right yeah. <laughs> so she's found her son and she's trying to get back up out of Thomas's little house and she has to like convince herself not to believe so that she can safely get back out right so yeah it seemed to very much support that idea except that these ghosts didn't really seem to be dangerous at any point they seemed scary, like, you know, they were knocking on walls, but I don't think they wanted to hurt anybody. They're just happy little kids. I mean, they were really happy to see her in the afterlife with them. <laughs> when I mean, she joined them. Everybody would like that, wouldn't they? Like, oh, my friends are back here. I wish they could see me and interact with me. I mean, she played with them. I mean, it fun. sort of felt more like they were like, they were glad that she had joined them. Mm-hmm. Because oh, they now, were glad. Yeah, it was a little creepy. That The ending of the movie is weird because that's what I really had a problem with. At the end, when this woman has killed herself because her son starved because to death she and killed fell her off son. a thing. Because okay. she killed okay. her son. Like, yes. not intentionally, <laughs> but she is very much in a place where she's like, I just spent yeah. nine months frantically searching for my son and I am the one who killed him. Yes. <laughs> Believable reasons. Okay. And then there's happy, joyful, uplifting music of I'm home with all these kids. And then already that's happy. Then her husband, you know, is sad because she's dead. As and, is his son. <laughs> yes. And, everybody he's ever met is right. dead. And then he goes and sees like a sign of ghostliness, like the doors open, and he's like, oh, she's stuck forever here on Earth. Sweet. <laughs> he uh, he didn't seem so sad, and did no. he ever find out what happened? I mean, he came I... home to his dead wife leaning over the desiccated corpse of their son, <laughs> yeah, which apparently great. she was able to find in two days af- after he yeah. left, uh, and w- she had no idea where he was for yeah, 10 months. Yeah, well, that's an interesting twist. I really, I, I had that thought too. I'm like, oh, she's not leaving him a note as to like what happened. Like, right? how mm-hmm. is she, is he going to put this together? He's not. So he was happy she's stuck forever here on Earth because he's like, <laughs> take that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I did. I had the same kind of question. My very last comment is, was this a happy ending? <laughs> yes. <that's... laughs> I thought the memorial was strange at the end. That, that was uh, to, yeah. to her and the son and then the five orphans <laughs> that apparently nobody even knew was missing for 30 years yeah. that they right. found the corpses of. I mean, just all the bodies they found. So, Let's put them on this side. I think, I, I think what we're getting from that is that Carlos, despite how he did not believe when Aurora was there telling them what was going on in mm-hmm. the house, now does believe and so is able to see his family that now is hmm. his wife and his son 
and these five Which, orphan children who they, they wanted, wanted to take care of. Like, this is what yeah. he wanted all along. And deal. they're all ghosts, so... And he doesn't have to feed them? Very little responsibility. <laughs> it's the best of both worlds. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I yes. guess it's a happy ending of a sort, right? Yeah. It's Cue soaring him. violin music. <laughs> And I feel like the people who made this movie had a very different response to how this story ended than I did. Like, I was very much wrapped up in the the trauma that everyone was experiencing because of all of these things. Yeah. Like, the, the little orphan children who were poisoned by the crazy lady. <laughs> right. The crazy lady who was crazy because the little orphan children had killed her son. Like, the son who was picked on because of his deformity, the mom who had accidentally killed her son, the son who had been trapped in a basement until he died. Like, so much trauma. That's true. And then the husband who comes back and is like, what happened? <laughs> Everybody's dead. <laughs> like, I I would not have been putting the soaring happy violin music at the end yeah. of this movie. It felt Something weird about to me. that is strange. I, I, I guess that's why we all just sat there in silence for so long after the movie <laughs> yeah. was over, just like yeah. trying to absorb it. Like, yeah, what? Yeah. I, I did not know how to react to that movie. I'm like, I feel like everything that I'm feeling is in direct opposition to what all of the, like, emotional cues of the movie are giving me. And I don't know which one of us is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Very strange. Hmm. Also, I think the dad was paid by the line. I don't think he was. (laughs) Yeah, he had so few lines during the story that they were probably like, you know what? We only have to pay him like 500 bucks per line, he says. We're going to be really stingy with his words. (laughs) He's just going to have to do a lot of his acting with his eyes. Especially comparing him to Laura, who did a whole lot of talking to everybody, even people who weren't there. The medium. It looked like a giant scam. And I was really proud of the husband when he was like, (laughs) no, this is a scam. Yes. (laughs) Like, you don't see them often call that out in these horror movies. And I was just like, that's amazing. That was worth the $500 line. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, though... They only called it out, you know, because they were trying to make the point that, no, this this medium was for real. Like, because she was, like, in the movie universe. Right. She was seeing things that were really there. Like, she was yeah. not a scam. So the only reason they call it out as a scam is because it wasn't. But it looked irony. like a scam. It, it did. totally yeah. looked like a scam. And him pull it, calling her out on it just, like, made me really yeah. happy. <laughs> yeah, it did. Although I've never seen, like, we've watched a lot of movies with mediums who come in and are, uh-huh. you know whatever, communing with the ghosts and whatnot. I've never seen one where they had, you know, one of the people was like tracking where the medium went. Like this whole idea of parallel perception is nonsense. I'm going to say that right (laughs) now. So nobody thinks like I'm- Because it would be bad taken in. Right, (laughs) right, right. Yeah, you gotta not believe. Don't want to set that precedent in this universe. (laughs) But it was fascinating to me and I really liked how they portrayed it. I thought it looked like a realistic, scam i don't know (laughs) i just i liked how they did the little map where he was like tracking where she was going as part of their record keeping yeah that's fun can we talk a little bit about the like welcome party for the living orphans who were they weren't even orphans they had parents right they had somebody with them these kids who were gonna come live with them is that what that was it was was, yeah it was like it was a party it was a welcome party you know it had these kids who were around were the kids who were gonna come and stay with them (laughs) That's really bad because as soon as one showed up in the house, she flipped over backwards and fell into the tub because she couldn't handle it. (laughs) She was so terrified. (laughs) 
I mean, to be fair, it was her own kid. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> to be fair, she didn't know where her son was in that moment. It was a kid with a burlap sack. Yeah, it was a creepy, creepy mask. mask on. He was growling at her, <laughs> like. It was a little nerve-wracking. But yes, also, she maybe could have handled that better. I mean, all of the kids had masks. Who does a masquerade for when yeah, you're trying to get weird. to know people? Right? You're like, let's get to know all these people by not seeing their faces. <laughs> also, That's those were point. some scary animal masks. I know yeah. they were animals. They were supposed to be cute, but they were terrifying. not cute. <laughs> yeah, they were terrifying. In fact, I'm pretty sure that most of the children who were invited to that party would have been terrified by those masks. Probably. Yeah. I wonder how much time they had to spend with the actors and actresses who were playing those kids to be like, no, it's okay. It's just a mask. I know it's kind of creepy looking. It's because it's a scary movie, but it's not going to hurt you. Like, it was creepy. We talked a little bit about this, the music at the end. This is one of the only movies where I've also noticed some use of sound in particular ways. Like, usually I tend to notice the visual stuff more. I'm like, oh, they're using the color red to represent this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it keeps popping up in connection with certain emotions or certain characters or whatever. But in this one, there was a point where the father was playing the piano and he had a metronome going. And so the metronome was ticking. And then it transitioned into her in bed at night listening listening to the tick of her clock next, mm -hmm. you know, the alarm clock next to her bed. It was an interesting tie from like the husband. So the son was already missing at that point. So it was like the piano scene was the dad sort of like occupying his time. And, mm -hmm. you know, then we had the tick tick of the metronome and then the mother and how her time was ticking by. Like I, th I just thought that was a very interesting way to show mm. time passing. And it struck an emotional chord for me. On the visual cues, they used those little dolls everywhere oh, yeah. that the the ghost showed up. Mm -hmm. And then, like, when the old lady was hit, there was one of those dolls underneath the van. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then she finds all the dolls underneath a <laughs> hidden thing in one of the rooms. It's like, yeah. it was like a bench seat. Yeah. With the names, and they had the names carved on... The special dolls storage. I guess. Okay, so that makes me wonder. I sort of was thinking that Simone had set up this whole thing. Like, that she was finally, nine months later, following Simone's oh, clues to I find didn't think him. that. Right? Okay. Like, that's what I was thinking. But then, did he set, it, set that up? Or was that something that the little ghost kids set up? I mean, it wasn't until after she asked to find him. That they that she found the clues, but that rose had clearly been in that photo album for a while. It was dried out, and I don't know. I, I like I was trying to decide if Simone had set it up or if I think that he set it up. She didn't see it, and when she asked that she, you know, she's like, "Fine, I'll play with you, but you have to show me where he is." They were like, "Here." <laughs> Oh. Like, he left you all the necessary clues. Although, know. didn't they, the ghost set up the first game, although the, the doctor didn't say so, but... What do you mean the ghost set up the first game? The first scavenger hunt, Simone claims the ghosts set that up for them. Oh, see, I think Simone set that up. But that's what the doctor thinks. You need to believe. Or uh, not. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you very much. I don't know how many orphan children were killed in this house. I don't need them coming, you know, becoming real. Uh, yeah, we don't need that. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it could go either way. Well, that's the whole thing. It feels like it could be this whole thing is in her head from beginning to end. I mean, obviously real things happened, 
but it's all you know her figuring out finally where her son is and snapping yeah but i don't think that's likely well honestly i think that's what i like about it is that it could go either way like they don't say at the end like it's definitely this, or definitely the ghosts were doing it and they were real, or definitely Simone did it and mm-hmm. the ghosts didn't exist at all. You know, like, you could easily go either way, and I like that kind of um, Schrodinger's cat-type <laughs> story where, you know, you can kind of sit with it in both iterations at the same time. I thought they did a really good job of the foreshadowing. Like, there were just clue after clue after clue mm-hmm. after clue of foreshadowing of what was going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it too much? I mean, it sort of feels like, like, when you talk about it being cliche, I feel like sometimes cliche comes from there's too much information that's given, you figured it out too soon, and then everything feels cliche. Where if you didn't, then it feels like clues. Makes sense. So do you feel like it was too much foreshadowing or it was the right amount? Uh, I mean, it was pretty heavy handed on it. Mm-hmm. But at the same point, you would need a certain amount of foreshadowing to get into the suspension of disbelief of what they're going to present to you. Right. That's always a really tricky balance to find when you're creating a story because everyone's tolerance for that is a little bit different. Like, right. like the scene in the in the closet where you were like, oh, this is so cliche. This I know exactly what's going to happen. Like, I know everything. I had none of that. So when it happened at the end, I was like, oh, it was super traumatic for you. Whereas I watched the way through being traumatized the entire time. (laughs) Like the moment they did that six month skip, I was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yikes. Ooh, see, and I, I was assuming that he was he had died in the first high tide. Although one thing. They were acting like that tide was coming in so fast they couldn't possibly have run down the beach and gotten into that cave and saved him and gotten out. The tide comes in over the course of hours, not minutes. Carlos didn't believe there was anybody there because he didn't see anybody. No, you would would still go check, though. If your wife was adamant enough that she's going to break her leg. (laughs) Right? And also... If she's adamant that your son is in there and you don't let her go check, that's it. Your relationship is over because as far <laughs> as she's concerned, you killed her son. Yeah. Of course, it turns out in the end, she killed his son. So yeah. what are you going to do? And he was happy about it in the end. So there you go. <laughs> he always wanted a ghost family. <laughs> I mean, I thought the foreshadowing was really heavy, but overall it was, it was a pretty beautifully traumatic show. (laughs) And I found that the Spanish didn't interfere with it in any way for me. Were you able to understand it? Do you speak enough Spanish to understand it? Oh, I don't. I'm just really good at subtitles. Sure. Okay. (laughs) And um, I really like to hear things in their own Mm -hmm. language because it just, it's better that way. Mm -hmm. It is. Definitely. I don't know. I, I think I would give that a four out of five. I don't know what's what's a good Spanish <laughs> oh. term. <laughs> I guess it would be a good four ghosts out of five ghost children. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. All but one of them. All, all but one of them. Wow. Okay. I I am kind of shocked by that rating because how you responded last night and even how you responded at the beginning of this review, I was expecting a much lower score. There were two scenes that I thought were really solid. One was the medium scene 
I, I liked how it felt and how it was done. And and what's weird is I think almost every movie I see that has a medium scene, even if the rest of the movie is lame, I think the medium scene is well done. Like The Conjuring, I think was, I think, no, no, Insidious, I thought was a pretty dumb movie. And the medium scene was super scary and good. So huh. that's just what I like. You like that. Okay. Especially when they use graph paper. <laughs> And then later, the adult version of Toca la Pared, one, two, three, knock on the wall, that was good too. Although once the ghosts actually came out and were visible, I'm like, eh, it's just a kid. Like it's not, there's nothing spooky going on. It's just like, oh, there's a kid back there. Okay. Which should have been really scary. <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, turning my back and suddenly having a pack of like six-year-olds coming <laughs> oh, at no. me while I'm not watching, that's one of my worst nightmares. Yes, I understand. <laughs> Especially if they're ghost children that stole your son. Right? (laughs) So those were good. But overall, we've talked about a lot of plot holes and weirdness and tone and stuff that bring it down. It was like well done visually and stuff, but not in the story. The story was problematic for me. Although I did like the big twist around of how she killed her son. That was fun. You like that? It was less fun for her, but it was fun for me. So I will give this one three and a half ghost children <laughs> out of five. <laughs> that's sick. Mikey, that's sick. <laughs> you know, like sometimes ghosts, like you see them in movies, like just the top half is floating around sure. or they're decapitated. It's three and a half ghost children. Okay. So what this movie tells me about myself and what I like in movies, particularly horror movies and horror stories, is I like that thing, that piece that is just so horribly, horribly tragic that it's it's almost unbearable. Like yeah. when I realized, and I think it would have been true too had I realized earlier on, because like you said, then it would have been every, you know, every minute that she was looking for him, it would have been building on that like, yeah. oh, at some point you're going to figure this out and it's going to be bad. Yeah. That feeling is something that I like in horror stories, that I, that I crave in horror stories, that like, it's that gut punch and it's something that i'm always looking for when i'm writing my stories is like how do you get the thing that like stabs someone right in their emotions and that did it for me and so because of that all i totally agree about all these plot holes and there was weirdness Mm -hmm. and like there are things that didn't work or that i didn't like and yet i am still i'm like oh yeah whatever that doesn't matter that doesn't matter like i keep oh yeah that's true but whatever it doesn't matter Because it had that one thing that just was like, oh, so good. It's so good. Had the proper emotional trauma. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And it is going to be something that sticks in my head for a long time. I am always going to think of this, of that feeling that I had when I realized what had happened. And the rest of it, I didn't dislike enough that it, there was a lot of interesting stuff in the rest of it. I liked the, the medium. I liked the whole, our son doesn't know he's adopted, doesn't know he's HIV positive, and then that coming out and him being mad. And there was so much stuff going on that it was all interesting. I'm still fascinated by the idea that this is the Peter Pan story told mm-hmm. in a way that makes it almost unrecognizable as Peter Pan. But once you, you know, once I had that thought in my head, I was like, oh. Then all the parallels come together. Right? As and soon as you said that this morning, I was like, oh, oh, that changes a lot. 
lot. Yes. <laughs> and so now not only am I going to remember this movie, but whenever I watch anything Peter Pan related, I'm going to be like, oh, Neverland is death, guys. Hey. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't know that already? <laughs> I mean, no, I didn't know that oh. already. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> That would make this significantly more of a gut punch. I've yeah. I've known that since I was a kid. <laughs> really? Yeah. I always thought it was a super dark story, and I didn't understand why people loved it so much. No, not ever once in my. And I like the Peter Pan story. I've like Hook is one of was one of my favorite movies as a kid. I love. Never Hook. once did I put together that they stay young forever because they're dead, and that no. Of course, never also once. in the original story, the pirates are the children that survive. Peter Pan trying to kill them as they age. That's why all wow. the pirates hate him so much. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. See, and maybe I've never, I've only ever heard retellings of it that, I don't know. The original one is a lot darker. I mean, as is most old stories. Yeah. That is true with most Always old stories, most fairy tale kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, huh. So I guess I was today years old when I finally figured out what <laughs> Peter Pan was all about. This, so this movie was scarring for you. This is a big movie for me. Um, okay, so all of that being said, it did have some flaws. I can't give it a five, so I am going to give it four ghost children who will never, ever grow up out of five. And now I'm going to go cry under my bed. I'm sorry. Peace out. So after the podcast was finished, Soli said this. Peter Pan is death. Huh. I think I have to be done with today now. But before we started recording the podcast, she said this about me. You're so melodramatic today. <laughs> <laughs>